0: That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you.
1: Today's program was brought to you by Emmy Cheese, specialty cheese from Switzerland made with heart and passion. For more information, visit meusa.com.
2: You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network
3: It is Monday. It is 12 o'clock. Actually, a little after 12, but that doesn't matter. And this is What Doesn't Kill You, Food Industry Insights. Um, Happy fall, everybody. I know it's not really fall yet, but almost. Weather has certainly changed here in New York City. Um, And definitely uh, taken a turn for the better after what appeared to be months of crushing heat. Anyway, today we are kicking off my fall season. We're going to be talking about water quality issues uh, and agriculture uh, around the United States. Uh, It's a problem that is affecting more places than you probably realize, and that includes, of course, uh, the tragedy that is unfolding before us in Florida and on Florida's coastlines, where there is an historic uh, and epic bloom of not only red tide, but also something that is sometimes known as blue-green algae, otherwise known as cyanobacteria. Um, we're going to be talking to two people today about this. Uh, the first one is on the line with me right now. His name is um, John Hollick, He is the mayor I want you to take note of that. The mayor of Venice, Florida. He spent, um, I think he told me, 28 years in the financial industry before he um, went for his third run. At he, he has been elected three times, actually. Let me make that clear. He is a very, obviously a very popular guy in Venice, Florida, and he is um, enjoying his third term, uh, which began in 2016. So um, Mr. Mayor, Thank you for joining me on the program today. I so appreciate your time out of your, I'm no doubt, uh, sort of slightly frantic um, office at the moment. Um, Why don't you set? My pleasure. Thank you so much. Um, Why don't you set the scene for us um, vis-à-vis the the uh, Karenna? Am I saying that right? Karenna or Karenia brevis and the cyanobacteria that are plaguing the coastline of your area?
4: Yeah. Why don't we just call it K brevis because that'll make it a lot easier. It does. Cape Brevis is is a natural occurring uh, algae. It it seems to reside on the bottom uh, of the gulf. Uh, And best projections are it's anywhere from 10 to 40 miles out from shore. Uh, And every once in a while it pops its ugly little head up uh, (laughs) to the surface. Uh, And this time we just happened to get a relatively large bloom that uh, popped up uh, several months ago. Uh, and worked its way uh, inshore, and it's really when it comes closer to shore that it causes the problem. Uh, out it, out in the Gulf, uh, it tends to just be a uh, an alga, el- a- and uh, doesn't cause much of a problem. As it gets closer to shore, the wave action uh, breaks it apart, and it releases its toxins, oh. uh, and that's when we end up with fish kills and uh, difficulty breathing and uh, a myriad of different uh, problems that that pop up from uh, the k. brevis.
3: Uh-huh. Uh huh. And, and then to so, compound that, you have blue-green algae as well, right?
4: It's totally different than the blue-green. The the k. brevis is a saltwater algae, and it does mm-hmm. not do well in freshwater at all. Uh, it'll die off. The blue-green algae is a freshwater algae that dies off once it gets out into uh, saltwater. water. Huh. So uh, it. Two totally different organisms. Uh, the blue-green. Um, there, there's a lot of evidence that uh, runoff from various nitrogen and phosphate uh, type of uh, fertilizers uh, really cause that bloom uh, to prosper. Uh, it it actually gets very very thick, hmm. uh, and will the the fish kill from the blue-green algae. Uh, is actually more of a suffocation type of a kill mm-hmm. uh, than than the k brevis which is a uh, gaseous toxin uh, that uh, does a fish kill and and so two two different animals
3: right but both in play at the same time in this case that has that happened before uh,
4: yes it it, it has uh, it seems that uh, the blue green algae uh, is a something that that has gotten much, much worse uh, over the, the near term than the K-Brevis. The K-Brevis, uh, I recall very distinctly the 2004-5-6 the bloom mm-hmm. uh, lasted 18 months, and it was just as bad as this. We just didn't have the coverage um, uh, at that time like we do from social media. Uh, we we know a lot more about what's happening right when it's happening today than we did even 15 years ago. Uh, so, uh, But I, I do recall that bloom. Uh, I lived in the same house I live in now, uh, and it was difficulty breathing, a lot of dead fish. Yeah. I think we did a better job of cleaning, picking up from uh, the, the dead fish uh, 14 years ago Fifteen years ago, than we did now.
3: Really? Uh, How yeah. do you account for that?
4: Um, cuts in budgets. You know, wow. people people will cut our our entire uh, beach area for the for the entire part of Sarasota County uh, is maintained by the county, not by the cities. Uh, and uh, I was looking at at their guidelines for what they do. Uh, for cleanup of uh, dead fish, and they were changed in 2013 because I was trying to go back in my memory, mm-hmm. um, and, and back in the 2004, 5, and 6 range, I'm still not done collecting the data on it, but uh, it seems to me uh, they were out almost daily picking up the dead fish, which when that happens, Yes, you end up with the effect of the of the algae bloom, but you don't end up with the uh, stench of the dying fish. <laughs> this time because of the change in in the way they picked it up, um, we ended up with both the the uh, toxic bloom plus uh, the the uh, dead fish smell. Uh, and quite honestly, we didn't know there was a change until after we were saying, how come the fish aren't being picked up?
3: Yeah, uh, and the reason is because there have been budget cuts to whatever services are available to perform that duty. Correct?
4: That's what. That's what I assume. I, I haven't had a chance to talk with the county yet. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of times, you can pick these things up uh, from bits and pieces of, of emails and bits and pieces of policy changes. Uh, that you didn't even know were there. Mm. And once you start putting them on your desk and spreading them out, you say, wait a minute, here's a change. <laughs> uh, there's yeah. something here that's, uh, that that isn't a, like it was uh, 15 years ago.
3: Right, right. Who was the governor of Florida 15 years ago? Was oh, that, wow. um, what's his name? What was his name? Crist?
4: I, I don't know right? if Crist was then or, you know, I'd, I'd have to look. But uh, the governor's right up until Rick Scott were very supportive uh, of clean water mm-hmm. um, and it wasn't until uh, this time around where we had a substantial substantial budget cut uh, for the water districts. Um, we had uh, well we've had legislation introduced where uh, the state has usurped the power of, of uh, local governments, from uh, actually make, writing any ordinances to control or um, uh, fertilizers, Ooh. Uh, if if the and I believe it was 2011 when that came on. Uh, wow. If you didn't have an ordinance on the books by 2011, uh, you couldn't put one on, and you can't change the one that you've got.
3: No kidding.
4: Uh, so you know, a lot of times you we can write an ordinance and it sounds good. It starts out good, but then we find out that it needs some tweaking to make it even better. Uh, and right now, we have that problem where we can't even tweak it to make it better.
3: Incredible. Tell me, how much has the has this um, you know algae bloom affected tourism in your area, and what what has been the financial impact on your area?
4: I I don't have the financial figures. I can only mm-hmm. say they're substantial. Yeah. Um, how has it affected it? Well. People that had uh, rental properties, either uh, rental homes or uh, coming to hotels, uh, they just canceled. Yeah. Uh, people didn't come downtown to shop. Mm-hmm. Um, we were currently undergoing a, a major beautification project in our downtown area, which already uh, burdened our, our business district uh, because the streets are ripped up. Okay. Um, but we had good signage and good parking, and people were still coming downtown. Uh, many of the businesses said it's only about a five percent loss, which is not a bad loss for uh, having a complete beautification project. Mm-hmm. But as soon as the red tide hit, uh, it went from a five percent loss to sixty to seventy percent. Whoa! Uh, so it and the ripple effect is is the thing that. Um, really really hurts i i sit on the uh uh board of directors for the south county uh, united way and uh requests for united way services are up by over 40 percent since the red tide hit Uh, people unable to pay their utility bills people unable to pay their rent uh, because the jobs that they had many of the jobs in this area are service oriented yep uh, they're not out there, they're not able to work. Nobody's going to the restaurant, so you don't need waiters and waitresses and cooks. Mm-hmm. Uh, waitress and wait- Waiters and waitresses and cooks don't go to work. They don't have the money to pay for their rent and utilities. So uh, it, it's a, a ripple effect I'm afraid that we'll be feeling for quite a few months, even though right now uh, Red Tide is not bad here.
3: Uh-huh. So how many fish have actually, like in your area, you talked about how it still smells of rotting fish and they're not really cleaning it up. Well, can you give us sort of a, a gross estimate of the pounds, the number of pounds or the number of fish that are washing up? And are you, are you part of that area that's seeing like even a lot of turtles and, and um, I don't know what else would be washing up there, but, you know, turtles, uh, you know, other aquatic and, life. And
4: you, you used exactly the right word. It is gross. <laughs> um, We yeah, I bet. have a little over three miles of beach in Venice, mm-hmm. uh, and in that three miles of beach, um, I, I don't have the the figure for just that. I have it for Sarasota County. That's good enough. Uh, over a hundred and sixty tons of dead fish. Oh! Whoa! Um, there are quite a few turtles. I don't have the the the, the figure on the turtles. Um last I read it was uh younger turtles not the oh. not the ones that were laying eggs and not the babies that were hatched. The babies when they hatch still have a yolk sac on and their instinct is to get in the water and swim out to the seaweed and the seaweed patch is beyond where the red tide is. Uh-huh. So they they don't eat anything so they don't die. The turtles um manatees, porpoises, we've had some killer whales. Yeah. Um, pygmy killer whales. Uh are apparently the cause of their death is from eating uh fish that were about to die, uh which of course would be swimming slower. Uh so the fish were, were loaded with toxins which in turn uh went into the bodies of uh the, the mammals and the uh uh turtles.
3: Yeah. Wow. That's, I mean, it's just heartbreaking to hear this. So what, let's, let's talk a little bit about sort of why this is happening. I mean, you have a lot of agricultural activity around um, Sarasota County, right? There are a lot of um, sugar plantations. You have some uh, livestock happening there. But, what, what, yeah, what are those agricultural connections that you think might be having an impact? Sugar is
4: not here. Uh, we mm-hmm. have livestock and we have um, other types of farms of uh, Fruits and vegetables that that we enjoy uh, in the winter time, uh, some of those come from this area. Uh Uh, So it's that type of agriculture. And I was I was looking at a at a chart uh, that says that only about six percent, six to seven percent, of the uh, nitrogen and and phosphate that's used on land is used. Uh, on residential land. Uh, the rest, the, the, uh, we use almost as much on golf courses as we use on residential property.
3: Wow, right. So that,
4: between those two, that's about 12%. And then there's other uh, types of fertilizers that are used, uh, but the, the vast majority of it, uh, about 70%, is for agriculture. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we have runoff. Uh, from those types of land and from uh, the, other, the other runoff that, that produces a high amount of nitrogen uh, would be from uh, waste of, of things like cattle uh, and the, uh, uh, the leaching into waters uh, from the cattle droppings. Uh-huh. Uh, so our cattle farms are, are contributors as well. So what
3: what can you guys? Do? I mean, as a, as the mayor of your city, um, what can the county do, uh, or is what is the county doing? I should say. Um, you mentioned earlier that it's hard to write an ordinance now about how much fertilizer can be used and so forth. So what what are your options in terms of of um, you know trying to regulate some of these issues to help head off a, a similar situation in the in the coming years?
4: Well, what. The city's relatively small uh, in relation to the county we're mm-hmm. sixteen square miles um, it, it, as a percentage of the county it's like like the head of a pin okay <laughs> uh, we have twenty one thousand people uh, and the county is uh, close to three hundred thousand uh, so we have three miles of beach and uh, the beach line for the entire county is probably 25 almost 30 miles uh-huh so yeah, what we can do is the best job we can do to educate our people to let them know that there are things they can do like I have voluntarily myself uh, stopped using fertilizers on my home lawn
3: uh-huh um, that's a good start it,
4: it doesn't seem to it doesn't seem to make any difference we we didn't do it We've lived here for uh, 25 years, 27 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, out of those 27 years, we've actually only fertilized our lawn for two years, and it really didn't seem to make a difference, so I'm going to stop it again. Uh-huh. Uh, we make our own uh, weed killer. We don't use Roundup, which is another big cause. We use a, a, a weed killer that's made out of vinegar, Epsom salt, and uh, uh, Dawn dish detergent.
3: Oh, <laughs> wow. That sounds good. And
4: it works great. Yeah, you know, sure. so, and it doesn't hurt. It doesn't hurt the environment,
3: right? Right. So there
4: are things that can be done, but it's it's things that you have to educate people on. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's going to be the the biggest thing we can do. So uh, to, to try to put an ordinance out that that regulates the use of fertilizer, that's one thing. But the the difficult part is enforcing it. Mm, I'll say. Uh, and unless we were to hire double or triple the size of our police department to be able to enforce it uh people can just go to the store and buy the fertilizer and put it on anyway but if they know there's an alternative if they know they can still do something and not harm the environment many people will use that alternative instead of using the harmful one yeah i agree i think that education is is really the key
3: so do you have a budget for that
4: uh, we're making one.
3: <laughs> how, do, how do you feel the state has responded, not just to the crisis in Venice, but the whole of, you know, I think it's about, altogether, I've read that it's about 120 miles of coastline that has had, uh, you know, a tremendous, um, taken a tremendous hit from both the K. brevis and the cyanobacteria.
4: Well, yeah, the, uh, about the best thing that the state has done is is declared a state of emergency, which Makes uh, low or no interest loans available to, to small businesses, uh, but that's that's really a small part of it. It's it's not just the businesses that are hurting; it's the people that that work in the businesses that are hurting. Uh, the state of emergency on a state level is not like uh, FEMA coming in and reimbursing or putting people up or doing anything like that. Uh-huh. Uh, so everything that's it's being done for the people. is being done through uh, nonprofit organizations like the United Way or uh, like a number of uh, Salvation Army has, really steps up to the plate uh, during periods of uh, like this. So
1: mm-hmm.
4: uh, those are the ones that are really helping the individuals. Um, the state, yeah, I, I, I have difficulty when. Uh, there, people at the state level can't even say there's climate change. Yes. Um, <laughs> it 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 just makes no sense when when uh, when people uh, you have to remove that from your vocabulary when you're when you're trying to talk with someone. I something's wrong there.
3: Something's very wrong. Something's nasty in the woodshed, as the, the great <laughs> novel Cold Comfort it, Farm.
4: It, <laughs> It, it, if we don't correct it, there won't even be a woodshed.
3: yeah exactly. So do you feel like um so you're saying essentially, I know that I well, let me let me back up here and say that the reason that I contacted you, as we discussed when i when I first read this letter, was a letter you wrote to uh, Governor um, Rick Scott asking for, you know, more financial aid in terms of just research on how to get rid of. These recurring, you know, problems, specifically with the blue-green algae, which is definitely something that could be controlled much more readily than, than the, um, you know, K. brevis. So, did did you get a, a satisfactory response from the governor's office to that letter that you wrote?
4: I I really haven't gotten any response, and I didn't think that I would,
0: mm-hmm. uh,
4: because it's not a topic that um, really wants to get to the top of anybody's list right now until I ask. Uh, but it, it's amazing as you start looking into things like this, Moat uh, Marine is doing some phenomenal work uh, in their research. University of Florida does phenomenal research. And if we can get these different organizations to work together uh, and get what, what they're missing is consistent funding.
3: Uh-huh. Uh,
4: it, it doesn't do any good. Oh, I shouldn't say it doesn't do any good. It, it does little good to get funding for one year and then the red tide is gone it's, it's in its rest period uh and all of a sudden we're not going to fund it anymore so the research stops dead in its tracks and we wait until everybody's <laughs> suffering again and then reignite the research it's like starting all over again yeah
3: that's just crazy that is just crazy well Mayor we have to leave it at that Um, but thank you so much for joining me today and I wish you guys the best in securing the funding you need and also the help you need in cleaning up the beaches and um, you know I'll keep checking back in with you we can do another show about this at a future date and see what things how it's shaking out for you thanks so much for for joining me today I appreciate it
4: okay Katie you're welcome and thank you
3: you betcha and let's take a quick sponsor drop and we'll be right back with Dr. Larry Brand from the University of Miami stay tuned
1: Today's program was brought to you by Emmy Cheese, specialty cheese from Switzerland, made with heart and passion. Since the early 1900s, Emmy has been a passionate supporter of farmers, cheesemakers, and family tradition. They believe in sustainable agriculture and respect for the people, land, and animals that make their business possible. Remaining dedicated to tradition, they strive to lead the industry in innovation, ensuring they bring you only the highest quality, best tasting cheese from Switzerland. EMI is best known for importing more than 80% of the Swiss Gruyere into the United States, but that's not to overshadow their other specialty cheeses, including Kaltbach Cave Age cheeses, Scharfa Max, Appenzeller, Tete de Moin, and traditional Emmentaler. For more information, visit EMIUSA.com.
3: You're listening to What Doesn't Kill You, Food Industry Insights. I'm your host, Katie Kiefer. We're broadcasting live from Roberta's in Bushwick, Brooklyn. And this is the Heritage Radio Network. In case you didn't know that since you've turned into a podcast, I'm just guessing that you probably do. Um, but anyway, today we have been talking about um, some major water quality issues and, and specifically uh, the giant algae bloom that has crippled uh, tourism for Florida's eastern coast, uh, all along Sarasota County. It encompasses about 120 miles, I've read. And um, after we've, we just spoke with uh, the mayor of a small city in that area to talk about sort of the economic impacts on his constituency. And now we're going to talk to Professor Larry Brand, um, who is in the Department of Marine Biology and Ecology at the Rosenstiel School of Marine and Atmospheric Sciences at the University of Miami. Um, Dr. Brand, thank you for joining me on the show. Sure, thank you. Um so just give us a quick I I know that the phenomenon of this uh the K brevis coupled with the cyanobacteria has covered about is it are they both sort of covering together and covering 120 miles of coastline or is it really primarily the K brevis that is the culprit here?
5: Well, no, the uh it's primarily K brevis, mm-hmm. uh, the so-called Florida red tide which is uh, along the coastline there. The uh, cyanobacteria, also known as blue-green algae, they're primarily they're freshwater algae, right? And so they're primarily in Lake Okeechobee, and then that water is coming down the Clusace River, so it's feeding into the estuary there. So you know, it is sort of meeting up there at the coastline, and so all the nutrients associated with the Clusace River and Lake Okeechobee are sort of sort of feeding those nutrients into the red tide to make it worse, right? But,
3: uh, can you give us a little? I know that 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 the that the whole wetlands and part of the Everglades were taken over sort of back in the '60s, and uh, you know the the landscape has changed kind of radically over the last fifty years. Can you give us a little bit of a background on the on how the watersheds uh, have been you know altered in the in those past decades?
5: Uh, sure. I mean, give you the consequences first, and then I'll explain yeah. what happened. In general, wetlands are very good at sucking up nutrients. They're like a nutrient sponge.
1: Right. So the
5: water's coming out of, you know, traditional wetlands are very low in nutrients. When you dry those out or you drain them and turn them into, say, agricultural land, now all of a sudden they start releasing huge amounts of nutrients. there's a huge uh, nutrient uh, source as opposed to a sink. Uh That's the basic story of South Florida. We've taken huge amounts of wetlands, and destroyed them, dried them out. We drained uh, the Everglades and so on mm-hmm. and turned them in largely into agricultural land. So we've gone from a, a nutrient sink into a nutrient source. Yeah. So if you start in the north, uh, just south of Orlando, begins our watershed, the Kissimmee River Basin. It's a whole string of lakes there, and there's a small meandering river, the Kissimmee River, surrounded by uh, large wetlands. Uh-huh. And that meandered all the way down into Lake Okeechobee. And around the 60s is when much of that was drained. And in doing so, the Army Corps of Engineers channelized the Kissimmee River, so made it uh, half as long. It used to be a, a long, meandering river. Now it's a sort of channelized straight shoot huh. down to Lake Okeechobee. And, then, of course, it, those wetlands are drained, turned into agriculture, uh, mostly uh, cattle ranches, dairy farms. I think it's probably some citrus and so on. So now you're shooting all those nutrients down into Lake Okeechobee. Uh, similarly, in the south, the uh, northern third of the Everglades were drained uh, as well and turned into agricultural land. It's called Everglades Agricultural Area, which like 90% of it is sugarcane. Uh-huh. And to keep that dry, they actually reverse the flow of water in South Florida. They they actually pump the water. It's called back pumping. They pump the water back up north. There's the natural watershed is go from the Kissimmee River and the Lake Okeechobee down through the Everglades down into Florida Bay. Right. But they actually reversed the flow of water using giant pumps to keep that sugarcane acreage dry, back pump it into the lake. And the other part of uh, the story now is initially there was essentially none of this water going to the east coast or west coast. There was no St. Lucie Canal to the east, That was dug, so you connect the St. Lucie Canal to the St. Lucie River and the southern Indian River Lagoon. Uh So now a lot of this nutrient-rich water dumped into the lake is now going down the um, St. Lucie Canal into the uh, St. Lucie Estuary and uh, into the southern Indian River Lagoon. You might remember a couple of years ago, we we, uh, had those famous guacamole algae pictures (laughs)
0: from the blooms
5: of blue-green algae or cyanobacteria there in St. Lucie Estuary. Uh Similarly, the Colusach uh, River was not initially connected to Lake Okeechobee. The headwaters of Colus uh, River actually was was Lake Hicchape just to the uh, west of the lake, mm-hmm. but again, to accommodate all this back pumped water from the sugarcane fields, uh it was connected up mm-hmm. so that now they can dump the water from Lake Okeechobee down the i'm sorry down the Kalusachi River down in the estuary and on out to the west coast.
3: Right, so that's why it's that's why there's cyanobacteria on both sides of Florida at this point.
5: Exactly. So, so blooms this year, they started you know, in the lake itself, first of all, because mm-hmm. it's extremely nutrient rich now from yeah. all the agricultural runoff into the lake. And then when when, they, when that lake gets too high, the Army Corps just has no choice but to release that water, otherwise the dike, that earthen dike, will burst. Oh my God! And when they release that water, you're releasing all those nutrients as well as those. Blooms of cyanobacteria sure. down those rivers to the coastline.
3: So you sent me a couple of really interesting papers, which I read with with you know great attention. Um, and um, I, I'm going to truncate them, you know, for the audience and because we don't have too much time. But you you examined data from 1954 to 63, and then again from 1994 to 2002 on the density, the duration, and the seasonality of red algae. Tell us what you found in those in that paper. What what were the findings?
5: Okay. Well, first of all, I should point out that uh, there's good reason to believe that the the Florida red tide uh, did occur on the west coast, even as you know, as far back at least as 500 years ago. Yes, that is important to say. So it is a natural phenomenon. But by comparing what it looked like in the 1950s with 50 years later, what I found is the red tide now, on average. I mean, I say average because it's really important to note it, it. Fluctuates it's up and down from year to year. There's a mm-hmm. lot of variability here that we don't completely understand. But mm-hmm. on average, it's like 15 times more abundant now than it was 50 years ago.
3: Do you think that that has something to do with climate change? I'm sorry to interrupt you, but just just curious. Is that because uh, of the warming waters?
5: Not really, not likely. I mean, to get 15 okay. times more algae, you need 15 times more nutrients. Mm. And I can't think of any natural sources of nutrients that have increased 15-fold.
0: Mm-hmm
5: in the last 50 years. Now, what has increased dramatically over the last 50 years, of course, is us. A dramatic increase in number of people living along the southwest coast, as long as a huge increase in agriculture in the interior. Mm -hmm. And so it's quite clear. I mean, you can look at the nutrient records and so on. There's a huge increase in nutrients uh, in these waters now, and that I'm, I'm quite convinced that... You know the red tide is much worse today because primarily of what we call anthropocentric nutrients. You know from human sources.
3: Right. And right. A large
5: part of that is agriculture. Uh The huge change in our in our watershed going from wetlands that are naturally a nutrient sink to going to agricultural land, which is naturally a nutrient source.
3: Right. Interesting. And then you, the other paper that I looked at was your paper on cyanobacteria that stated that um, that. Uh, it could have serious health implications, um, as um, such as increased incidence of neurodegenerative diseases like Alzheimer's or, or uh, ALS or Parkinson's. Um, have you? Is there been a concurrent study that shows a higher incidence of those diseases in the intervening years since you published this paper, in, which was in two thousand ten?
5: Uh, not here in South Florida. Um, I mean, first of all, I'm not a medical researcher. I am a, uh, I'm an ecologist. I I study more of the causes of these blooms. Right. So in that case, what I'm citing is other people's research. Yeah. Um. So, but we do know. I mean, what actually the discovery of um, of this neurotoxin BMEA was made in Guam uh, after World War II, when there was like a hundredfold increase in the incidence of these neurodegenerative diseases among the local moral people, of Guam. Uh-huh. Subsequently people have looked for this elsewhere, and yes, what you find, statistically speaking, in like New England and France and Sweden and so on, people who live near lakes that have, um, you know, where there's blooms of these cyanobacteria, statistically have a higher chance of coming down with these neurodegenerative diseases.
3: Wow, and that's because uh, of this bacteria BMAA. yeah A
5: neurotoxin. Uh, Sorry, a neurotoxin. Produced by the cyanobacteria. Wow. So I have documented that this this BMA toxin is, in fact, in seafood here in South Florida. I've shown this in high concentrations in Florida Bay, southern Biscayne Bay, in the fishing close River, and in Brains of dolphins over in the Indian River Lagoon. So wow. this, these blooms are producing this neurotoxin that can lead to neurodegenerative diseases. Yes.
3: And Dr. Brand, these these algae blooms are prevalent throughout the United States. I'm going to go off, you know, go off on a tangent here. I I warned you, um, but you know, like Toledo, Ohio has um, has suffered these giant algae blooms um, many summers running in the past decade. Um, so they clearly are also at risk for exposure to the same neurotoxin. Am I right?
5: Correct. Yes, that's true.
3: And have you have you had? Uh, do you your fo- your research is really focused just on Florida? I guess, um, but I'm just curious if you have run across studies that show that are showing the same kind of um, levels of neurotoxins in other cities in and uh, you know waterways in the United States that that haven't necessarily gotten the same kind of attention.
5: Um, not too many. Studies like I have done um but in terms of I mean I do know' like up in uh Lake Erie i mean there have been people have done some studies, and again statistically, people have a higher chance of coming down with these neurodegenerative diseases if they're living you know near the near Lake Erie and things like that so I mean, from that point of view uh it, it certainly looks you know like it's of concern in of terms concern. of actually documented uh, the b m a in the seafood um I'm not. I don't think there's been any other studies here in the United States. I know the Swedes have done a study up in the Baltic, uh-huh. and they saw the same type of pattern that I saw.
3: Wow, that's incredible! So, w- when you when you wrote these reports, where were they submitted? Did they just go into scientific journals, or or did correct?
5: It, 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 these are peer reviewed scientific journals. It's actually mm-hmm. it's actually a scientific journal called Harmful Algae. I mean, this is becoming such a big problem now yeah. on a global basis. There's a whole journal. Dedicated to what we call harmful algal blooms.
3: Yeah, wow. That's, I'm you know I'm sorry to sound like Pollyanna here, but gee whiz,
2: <laughs> I don't think it's anybody sort of, really. It's, I mean, it's, it's,
3: it's sort of good assertive assertive that this is it, Well, it's kind of good that this is getting so much attention from the press. I mean, even the media is picking up. You know, I mean, I I am no less of a you know newspaper reader than anybody else, and it's certainly been I've seen more reporting on this particular incidence of algae bloom, which you know. As you said, the K. brevis has been is a naturally occurring phenomenon, um, you know. But there's been more reporting about the blue-green algae as well, and and uh, I don't think people really have taken in the fact that it a has this connection to neurodegenerative disease, and b that it is so very widespread around the world, not just in the United States, but anywhere well, where the we have it This
5: only developed fairly recently. I mean, I said mm-hmm. that was initially discovered uh, after World War II. That's uh, well, a long history here, but basically, it really didn't uh, get a whole lot of attention and understanding until in the past decade or so. And it's ah. just now starting to uh, sort of seep out from the scientific literature to the general public, I guess you could say.
3: Yeah, right. And, you know,
5: and also, I mean, we're getting a lot more, um, I mean, initially it was fairly controversial, and but in the last few years we're getting more and more evidence that this really is true. I mean, you know, early stages of research is a lot of... Uh, you know, unknowns, a lot of questions and thrashing around, figuring out what's going on. But now we have a pretty good understanding of what's going on. We know why it's causing these neurodegenerative diseases. You can, you know, induce this in uh, lab animals and so
4: mm-hmm. on. Mm-hmm.
3: And does the CDC have any role to play in this? Or I mean, are they reading this? Uh, or some other sort of, you know, organizations, USDA aware? I mean, this does sound like kind of a major public health problem, what with the growth of the cyanobacteria problem.
5: Um, I'm sure some of the individual researchers uh, are uh, aware of this. Um, but I think at the level of, you know, administrations, I think they're pretty much ignoring it for now as far as I can tell. We're not getting any funding from these uh, Federal agencies for this type of research.
3: Uh, and what about state state funding? How does the governor? know uh, because the governor doesn't actually believe in climate change. But uh, cyanobacteria is not necessarily a, 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 a you know a result of climate change. It's a it's a result of agricultural runoff.
5: Yeah, I would argue. I mean, well, I get the question all the time. Uh, I would argue the primary cause of all these blooms, I and mean, I mean, these blooms are increasing all around the world. This is not mm-hmm. a local thing only, it's a global problem. Now, this is ultimately, what we're having to feed 7.5 billion people now. So there's a lot of fertilizer runoff from agricultural land, and that 7.5 people generate a lot of sewage. Right. Um, now, does climate change have an effect? I think it has a, a small effect in that uh, these two groups are talking about the cyanobacteria. They're the most primitive of all the algae. They've been around for three and a half billion years. And they like warm temperatures more so than the other algae. So as you increase the temperature, that gives them a competitive edge over other types of algae. Interesting. And mm-hmm. to some extent, that's also true for the red tide. It's a, uh, something called the dinoflagellate. And dinoflagellates are a primitive group, but you also tend to like warmer waters. Mm-hmm. So one could argue that, you know, if you have a lot of nutrients, you could have other species of algae, but if you have higher temperatures, you give a, a competitive edge to these uh, these blue-green algae or cyanobacteria and the dinoflagellates. It's also the most notorious, these ancient groups, are the most notorious for producing nasty toxins as well. Uh-huh. The colder, the types of algae that live in colder waters tend to, Produce fewer of the toxins.
3: Fascinating. I'm going to ask you one last question, and then I'll let you go. Um, what, what, what should, what's the, what's the remedy going forward? What, what's going to happen?
5: What, do you, uh, the what remedy, would you say you've as got a to scientist? The nutrients at their source. Uh, I mean, yeah. once you've released these nutrients into their waterways and into you know, the natural environment, uh, there is no feasible, logistically or economically way of trying to. Stop the blooms or get rid of the nutrients you've got to stop the nutrients before they're released into the, our natural environment, so that I mean, means I get people all the time give me new schemes for uh, <laughs> for killing off the algal blooms or for uh, getting rid of the nutrients, but you work it out, and it's just economically it doesn't make sense plus you know I have lots of ways of killing algae, but the thing is. You know, it'll kill off everything else in your in your ecosystem as well.
3: Right, that's what I was thinking. It's like you could substitute one problem for another. You know, by doing right. I mean, that, right? It's I mean,
5: like, for example, you know, you can chlorinate your swimming pool and you can kill off the algae and kill off everything else in your swimming pool, right? Yeah, but that's not what we want. Right, in a natural environment. We don't want a completely sterile body of water. We we still want the fish and all the other things.
3: Yes, of course. So ultimately, it's 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 on the state to both um, either produce a better water quality treatment uh, system, right? That's either a state or a federal issue, or to persuade farmers that they they need to use fertilizer more sparingly.
5: Yeah, I mean, you know, this problem with nutrients has been known for a long time, and Mm -hmm. there are nutrient regulations, both at the state and federal level. And all I guess I would say is clearly... The, the the rules we have right now, the laws we have right now, are not working, and/or they're not being enforced.
3: Yeah, I'd say it was probably a combination of both, because All I right. don't know anybody who's going over to every single farm and saying, "Let me see the number of you know pounds of fertilizer right. you just put on your fields this year." Yeah, that ain't happening. Well, Doctor Brand, I can't thank you enough for joining me today. I really appreciate the benefit of your expertise, and um, you know, really nice explanation for what's actually going on here. Um, I hope we'll speak again in the future. I'm okay, looking forward to you. it. Thank you, sir. And thank you so much for listening people and thanks to my sponsor emmy cheese and we'll see you next week with another show thanks for listening
2: thanks for listening to heritage radio network